0: Well, we're going to uh, continue to read in Ephesians tonight. Uh, We are looking at uh, this wonderful book of Ephesians. It's our second uh, journey into it uh, this evening. We began it last Sunday night. And uh, Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read the same passage that we read last week, Ephesians chapter 1, the first 14 verses. If you've got a Red Pew Bible, it's page 1173, page 1173, Ephesians chapter 1. John will be looking at this later on in our time together. Ephesians chapter 1, from verse 1 we read, knowing that this is the Word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father, in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, Of his glory and you also were included in christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation having believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised holy spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are god's possession to the praise of his glory amen we trust that god will bless to us Well, if you have your Bibles this evening, please do come with me to Ephesians,
1: Uh, and we're into Ephesians again, into our second, as Nigel said, our second uh, night in our uh, short series in Ephesians, and we're back into this passage that we were thinking a little bit about last week, and we're going to look at it again here this evening. And as we do, I I wonder, do you sometimes pause, or maybe you go out for a walk, or you think to yourself, what really is going on in the world? As you you hear about all of the developments that are going on around us, Perhaps you've picked up some of the the AI developments, the, the uh, artificial intelligence that are now being developed, I'm sure for some of the younger people you've heard of ChatGBT, and maybe for some of the older folks, pretty much it's a computer that can tell you everything that you would ever imagine, or any question you could ask it, it it'll tell you it in a matter of uh, a few seconds, it's an incredible piece of technology. Or, or maybe you were watching the news this week, and you watch uh, Elon Musk's latest uh space travel uh, little idea that he has, and he pours all of this money into building this huge rocket ship that he's able to blast off. And, and as you ponder these things, as you're walking around, baby, or as you're sitting having a cup of coffee, you think, what's my place in all of this? And then you cast your mind back through history, and you think of all of the, the wars that there's been, the, the various kings and governments, the various revolutions, and you think, am I actually important in all of this? Where where is my place? Does my life matter in the midst of all that's going on in this world? What part do I play? Little old me, surely in the sweep of history, I am not important. Well, if you're disorientated tonight, if you're lost, what we want to do is we want to drag ourselves back into Ephesians. We want to see who we are through the lens of Ephesians, through the lens of the gospel. We want to come into these words tonight, and we want to find out what really is going on in this world. What is our significance? And so in that, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into this. Ephesians, for those who are interested, was John Calvin's favorite book. I thought that was an interesting fact as I was studying for it this week, Uh, and I thought, well, there we go. It's great. We're in good ground. Ephesians. And as we come into this section, from verse 3 all the way through to verse 14, Nigel told us last week that this is the longest sentence in the Greek New Testament. It's all one thought. It's continuous. Now, we don't get that in our English translations. It's broken up for us, but this is the, the longest sentence in the Greek New Testament, and it's as if, it's as if Paul just can't stop. He, he starts to explain who we are. He starts to explain what God has done for us to see our part in the story, and he flows one thought after the next, after the next, after the next. And as we start to think about our part in this all, what we want to see is that there are two things going on. The apostle identifies for each Christian what our story is, but then also he he lays out, as it were, all of history for us. He shows us what's important in history because in this text we have, in this opening section, the, the, the knowledge of what is going on in all of history. And it's simply this, the little refrain that runs throughout the passage, that all of history has been played out to the praise of our trying God and for His glorious grace. God saving a people for Himself really is what history is all about. Now sometimes we are tempted to chart history in terms of wars and kingdoms and nations, and so we often think of history in the, in the terms of which, which uh, people group were in charge of the world. Or perhaps if we're into economics, we'll think of it in the terms of the top 100 companies that make it onto the footsie. But tonight what we want you to understand is this, that all of history is God's history. And what we have played out before us across the scene of time is God saving a people for Himself, God drawing a people to Himself, in the Old Testament through Israel, and then in the New Testament through the church. And so the triune God, saving the people for Himself, to the praise of His glorious grace. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall, empires come and go, the demise of governments and rulers and authorities, economic booms and crashes, and they're all sideshows to what is going on on the stage of the world. And so into history tonight, you can know that you have a place. You have a reason to live as we look at Ephesians. You have a reason to get excited, a reason to rejoice, a reason to worship, a reason to be fired up, a reason to follow Jesus. So we're going to piece this together through four words tonight. Four words that we find in our passage, and what I want these four words to be like, if we could illustrate it a little bit like this. You know whenever someone lights a a firework, and then it takes off of this, and away up into the sky, what does it do is, as it takes off into the sky, we all follow it, don't we? No one keeps their head down here. Everybody lifts their head up and and looks to the heavens, and then it, it bursts into all of its beauty. Well, what I want us to do tonight is, is a little bit like that. I want us to use these four words that we find in Ephesians in our text tonight to, to, as it were, take us from here and take our eyes heavenwards. And as these words come into their beauty, that we would see our God and see how good He has been towards us. Four words, redeemed, forgiven, and inheritance, and sealed. And we're going to find these as we work our way and step our way through our passage tonight. So, first of all, redeemed. Verse 7, "...in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace." As we start to edge ourselves into this, what we've got to see is that the triune God is at work and has been at work. As last week we looked at it, what does God do? Look at verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, for He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. The Father at work Uh, And then as we come into our section, into verses uh, 5 and 6 and 7, what do we see? That we're now into Christ and into His work. And so in verses 7, in Him, in Christ that is, we have redemption through His blood, the second person of the Trinity at work in saving His people. Uh, And this word is used, redemption, or to be redeemed. It's a biblical word. It's a word perhaps that we're not familiar with tonight, we maybe struggle with it, to wring it for all of its its significance. So, what is redemption? What does it mean to be redeemed or to redeem someone? Well, to redeem someone or to redeem something means to retrieve them, to repossess them, to reclaim them. And so, when Paul uses it, we have to understand he uses this word purposefully, And as he uses it, it carries a weight right from the Old Testament through to the New Testament. Because Paul knows with this one word that he's dragging us all the way back into Exodus and into the redemption that was wrought there by God by bringing his people, the children of Israel, out of captivity. God's people are under bondage, aren't they, whenever they're in Egypt? They're in chains. There are people who are bound, who are prisoners, who are slaves, who are captives. And what happens? The Lord redeems them. He repossesses them. He reclaims them. He retrieves them by demanding Pharaoh to let his people go. And he does this, how? Through the shedding of the blood of the Lamb. And so the Lamb's blood saves, it redeems these families of Israel. Whilst the eldest in the family of the Egyptians is struck down, God redeems His people through the blood of the Lamb. And the slaves are released. There is deliverance for God's people. And so in verse 7, Paul specifically indicates what? He indicates that our redemption in Christ is through His blood through His blood. The means by which we have been redeemed, the means by which redemption is procured is through the sacrificial death of Jesus. In this, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Remember John the Baptist? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, And so to redeem His people, for Jesus to reclaim His people, to repossess them from the dungeon of the devil, to set us free from the terrorism of sin, how does He do it? He has to do it through His blood being shed. So for this little uh, seemingly insignificant church in Ephesus, with all of the things that we heard about it last week coming into our minds, this small group of people in a society that has no interest in God, for them to hear that they're not weird or they're not fanatics or they're not crazy people, but for them to hear, verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood. For them to hear that the Son of God suffered and bled and died. What good news. Just like the firework takes our eyes from the ground to the skies and then points us to all of this beauty, so to this, this one sentence, this one verse, it's it's continuing through a logical stream of thought. But for them, this one verse, we have redemption through his blood. We are not insignificant, we have been saved. We have been redeemed, repossessed, reclaimed, taken by the Lord and brought to Himself. And so, as we start to think about how this applies to us, for you, Christian, tonight, with all of the worries that we have, with all of the doubts, the doubts that come and the doubts that haunt us about our worth, about our place within God's creation, who we are, questions in our head about our meaning and about our significance. If we doubt if we are loved and cared for, then what do we need? We need to go back into Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. In the days when we doubt, in the days when the clouds of this world blow into our lives, when all of, as it were, the ivy of this world starts to tangle itself around our heart and grow and start to choke us out, what do we need to see? We need to see this. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. We have freedom. We have been released, free men and free women, and it's all in Him, united to Jesus. And so saving faith, Christian, unites us to Jesus. And so we can draw from Him all that we need. And so we use this little phrase and we use it again tonight. You need to know, Christian, whose you are and who you belong to. This is good news. This is mighty news. The Father at work, verse 4, choosing us before the creation of the world, an incredible truth. Then coming into verse 7, in Christ we have redemption through His blood, but does it end there? No. Instead, it takes us now into our second word. In Him we have forgiveness, or we have been forgiven, forgiveness of sins. What happens is sometimes we shunt these two together, don't we? We've been redeemed and we have been forgiven. Maybe we try to merge these ideas together, they're closely related, but they are significantly different. We have been redeemed, says Paul, and then he goes on to say, but we are also forgiven. And this is important for us because, well, what is sin? And the sin is to commit treason against the holy God, and so we need a pardon. Often we would hear this question coming to us, Nigel and myself, and and maybe you've heard it or maybe you've asked it, why why can God not not forgive another way? Why can He not forgive in a way that that doesn't require sacrifice? Why can He not just verbally forgive us of our sin? We verbally forgive each other all the time, don't we? We sin against one another. We hurt one another. Surely God could have done the same. But such an understanding is a poor one because when we see the significance of sin, we see why, why this had to happen the way it happened. When we sin against each other, we we cause each other personal injury. But when we sin against God, something far greater is happening. He's the Creator and He's the King. He's our life giver and our Father. And when we sin against Him, we commit cosmic treason. And because our God is a holy God, and because He is just, He cannot just sweep it under the the heavenly carpet, as it were. Sin is a legal thing. And so we have to have the image of a high court in mind. And sin must be judged. It can't be waved away. And so the good news of the gospel is this that in verse 7 we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins, that the penalty has been paid by Jesus and the judgment for sin falls on Him. One commentator puts it like this. He says, sin will be judged and you'll pay for it or Jesus will pay for it. Sin will be judged and you will pay for it or Jesus will pay for it. And that is why this is great news, not only that we have redemption through His blood, but that we have the forgiveness of our sins, that He He takes all of our our dirty clothes, as it were, and He He takes those off, and He dresses us in His righteousness. And why? If tonight we start to think, well, this is great, we become puffed up with pride because we have redemption and because we have the forgiveness of our sins… Well, why is it? Well, that's where we need to go back into verse 4 again and into verse 5. He predestined us for adoption as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. You see, we have redemption and forgiveness not because of ourselves, but because of His work in us, not because of our IQ or our bank account or our works, but it's grace. Grace upon grace upon grace as we step through this verse after verse after verse. And then look at verse 8. It says that that it's lavished on us, God's grace lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Redeemed. Forgiven. Forgiven. And what do we see? Well, well, we see that the Lord is at work, Father, Son, and we're going to see Holy Spirit, the uh, electing and the predestining of God the Father in our lives, the redemption and the, the atoning work of the Son, and then the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And again, so for this little church in Ephesus, for them as they questioning who they are in the world that's moving around them, for us as we sit here tonight, what is our part in the great story Are we significant? Have we value? Well, absolutely. God the Father predestining us, God the Son willing to die for us, and God the Spirit willing to indwell us, and all according to the purpose of His will, all according to His grace before the foundation of the world. And so, this is a story that reveals to us all of history, an account that shows us what is going on in the world, that shows us God's hand. Look at verse 9, making known to us the mystery of His will. What is going on in the world? What is God doing? He's saving a people for Himself. He's drawing His own to Himself. He's redeeming them, and He's forgiving them. He's bringing the salvation plan to bear upon humanity verse 10, uniting all things to Himself. Well, if that's two fireworks that have exploded above our heads and raised our eyes heavenwards, well, will then come with me to the third into verse 11. Because in verse 11, in Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. See, God goes on, and there's an inheritance for us, an inheritance that is kept. Verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and having believed, were marked in Him with a seal and the promised Holy Spirit there is an inheritance kept for us. We have been chosen and predestined according to the plan of Him who works everything in accordance with His will. And for us, this this inheritance, how do we want to think about it? Well, we probably all dream of the day that some long-lost American cousin will pick up the phone or write to us and say in their American accent, here, we're not going to even try. I was going to try today. Not even going to try. They've come on the phone and say, "Guess what? I'm your long lost American cousin, and I've got a thousand acre ranch for you in Texas, and it's all going to be yours. We're connected way, way, way back. Our roots run all the way back into into the Emerald Isle, as it were. And you're going to be the beneficiary of this." You think, "Wow, that's great." When do you think you're going to pass on? <laughs> do you know the date? <laughs> Is it going to be any time soon? When can I come to Texas? Or maybe you imagine it like this. For some people, we get really invested in our family trees, don't we? We try to find if there are any good people in our line. We go all the way back, and we hope that we'll come across royalty or that we'll come across someone who wasn't a sheep smuggler and put here in the plantation of Ulster in our family line. And we look for this inheritance. We long for it. Well, what Paul wants to say to these people is, this is who you are now. You have been redeemed, and you have been forgiven but also that there is a great inheritance for you, that you are God's people, that you've been marked out and brought into His family. You're not a second-class citizen. For these Gentiles in Ephesus, their temptation would have been to think of themselves as a second-class citizen in the Christian economy. But Paul says you don't need to worry. Verse 11 in the ESV reads that we have uh, obtained this inheritance, an inheritance which which is, which is beyond all our imaginations. And it's this, that in the fullness of time, Jesus shall return, and He shall bring an end to all of the chaos. All the rebellion will cease. He will judge the living and the dead, and then He will recreate this world. He'll make it good and perfect. And we will be with Him forever under His Lordship. And as it were, the the garden scene will be replayed for us where we will walk with our God in the cool of the evening. There will be endless joy, never-ending fun. We will run, and we will not grow weary. We will explore and create and have friendships and walk with our Lord again. This is what Paul says is kept for you. What can sometimes happen to a people who have such a great promise? To those who, who know that the, the, the ranch from Texas is coming their way, that a great inheritance is coming to them. Sometimes they can become arrogant, can't they? Self righteous, above people. Others can become lazy. Sure, I don't need to do anything. All this money's coming my way. Others will live then in humility and thanks. They will remember the situation into which they were born, and then they will live accordingly. And so in case we start to think, well, as Christian people, this inheritance is kept for us, it's guarded for us, it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, Peter says. And so with that in our back pockets, we think, well, we'll just take it handy, we'll we'll, we'll get puffed up with pride. Well, again, we need to come back into verses 4 and into verses 5. See how it flows? See the logic running through this? It's nothing to do about you. You have been predestined, not according to your own will, but according to the Father's. No cause for boasting. Three fireworks that it feels like we're working through very, very quickly. Redemption, forgiveness, inheritance, and it keeps coming then, verse 13, and with this we, we will draw to a close. Our, our time's almost gone. Verse 13, And you were included in Christ when you heard the word of the truth of the gospel of your salvation, and having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. To conclude this wonderful sentence in the Greek, Paul adds this amazing truth that each believer in the Lord Jesus Christ have been sealed. has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so, I want us to think of two images, two images that sealed brings to our minds. And the first is the image that you see on the screen. To to be sealed means that the owner has stamped us, doesn't it? You've been sealed, marked by him, embossed, marked out as different. Uh, This week, I was watching a, a video of a guy who was working on a, a Lamborghini car and he, he took us in under the car and he was showing us each one of the parts. Don't buy a Lamborghini was pretty much the conclusion because it's all made up of Volkswagen parts and Audi parts and underneath. He was showing us each one stamped. This one's stamped with Audi. This one's stamped with Volkswagen. This one's a Volkswagen part. This one's an Audi part. Stamped. Couldn't escape it. Sealed as it were. The Creator's mark upon them. And so it is with Christians. We are stamped. We are sealed. We bear the mark of our Savior, the one who has changed us. How do we know that? Well, we know that we have been stamped and changed because we start to walk in verse 4. We start to walk in holiness as we have been predestined to. Sealed by the Spirit. Marked by the Spirit. But in the ESV, especially, we get, we get the second idea of what it means to be sealed. And the second image is this, this idea of being sealed shut. I was visiting someone from church this week, and they were showing me an engine. And in that engine, there was a particular part of it that had been sealed with a wire lock. And it was sealed with this wire lock to prevent anyone from tampering with the engine. Only three people in Ireland are actually allowed to open that seal, that have permission to open it. And so as I thought about this, and I thought about what it's like in the Christian life to be sealed, it's as if we've been sealed shut. No one has permission to open it again. Sealed shut with the Holy Spirit given to us. This deposit, verse 14, who is a deposit that guarantees our inheritance, So that moment, Christian, that the Lord saved you by His grace, and He came to you, you were sealed, shut with the Holy Spirit. The water-tight doors, as it were, started to descend in your life, and you were given the Spirit, given the Spirit irrevocably. That incredible news, and it starts to change your lives because there are moments. And we all have these moments when we feel like the Lord has left us. It's our feelings, our emotions playing tricks on us. We don't feel close to Him. We don't feel like we're walking particularly well. And what, what we start to think in that moment is, I wonder has the Lord departed from me? I wonder has He left me? I wonder has He withdrawn from me? Well, Christian, we need to know this verse. We need to know this this section of the text in Ephesians. Because you need to remember, verse 13, that you have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, sealed shut. And that seal is a guarantee, your guarantee, that one day you will receive an inheritance. The Holy Spirit keeping us, strengthening us, revealing sin to us, helping us in worship helping us to pray. The Holy Spirit, the guarantee that we need for the days, and we all have them, the days when we wobble, when we worry. Well, Christian, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, redeemed, forgiven, an inheritance for us, and sealed. And we're only starting, like Nigel said last week, after about 20 minutes. That's only verse 1. You see, how, you see how we could spend hours and hours. And as Nigel encouraged us all, take 20, 25 minutes this week and read this letter. Get this into us. Because these are the four words that will change our lives. That will enable us to endure through every storm, through every high, through every low, through every wobble in our faith. For the days whenever we, we don't know where we where we fit into this great world. Whenever we look at all of the developments around us, whenever we reflect back in history, we need to come straight into Ephesians. Am I important? Does my life matter? Absolutely. Redeemed. Forgiven. Adopted into this inheritance and sealed all at the hands of our trying God. See it at work, Father, Son, and Spirit in these first 14 verses. And then He also shows, that, that shows us in these verses that all of history working together for our salvation. So, what's our response? And that's the first day of the week. On His evening, what's our response? We take the response of the, the refrain that runs through this passage to the praise of His glory. To praise Him. Everything I do, I do it for the praise of His glory. Everything I have, I have it to the praise of His glory. Every spiritual benefit I have gained to the praise of His glorious grace. Christian, you have been predestined and called and justified and sealed and adopted and sanctified and glorified all to the praise of His glorious grace. Jesus, all for Jesus, this is who you are. May we trust Him tonight completely. Let's pause for a moment's prayer.